This is a sermon about fire. Fire! Brimstone. When was the last time you heard that from an Episcopalian preacher? <laughs> fire. There's no way to make today's gospel passage a gentle I've come to bring fire to the earth. I have a baptism to undergo. And I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. These are words of challenge. Words about the cost of discipleship. As the great 20th century Dietrich, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. Discipleship is not free. This is a gospel word that calls us to follow the one whose victory came through a cross. Mothers turned against daughters and sons against fathers, families, households, friendships torn apart by the message of Jesus. If, not, if nothing else, this gospel reading reminds us that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't reducible to any conventional set of family values. And for how many of the earliest disciples must these words come as words of comfort? If they had already found themselves drummed out of their homes, drummed out of their faith communities after becoming followers of this strange and radical teacher. The message that Jesus had already predicted this kind of thing must have been reassuring. A reminder that all those who have lost family or friends or possessions or prestige for the sake of God's kingdom will have their reward. And maybe for us too today, there can be some form of comfort in this passage as we realize that deep divisions, family divisions, aren't something new to our society. There's something characteristic of human life, and indeed there are times when the gospel of Jesus doesn't paper over divisions, but brings them to the surface and exposes them for what they are before they can truly be healed. Now we hear this passage in August, and although I hate to even bring it up, we are entering into fire season. Already in far North California, we've seen wildfires this year. Right now in France, wildfires are raging. And we don't know yet what this year will bring for us here at home. Will there be evacuations or power cutoffs? or smoke closures, or something worse. As nearly every year has brought something since the devastating catastrophe of 2017. Here in this county, here in Northern California, we know the power of fire, the danger of it. How a tiny spark at the wrong time can create a force that can reduce a meadow or a subdivision to ash. And so that's what I think of in this place, in this time, when I read these words of Jesus talking about bringing a fire to the earth. Fire is so powerful and so dangerous. And yet, it's also captivating. This weekend, my family and I were camping at Spring Lake Park. 
And we sat with our grams and our songs around the campfire and gazed into its depths. Child and adult alike captivated by the simple ritual of sitting in a circle around dancing flame. There's something about contained fire that's particularly captivating. Fire tamed and brought into service and yet never loses its power. We use flame in church. We could replace those tiny dancing candle flames on the altar with a couple of nice and safe light bulbs. We don't. We don't because fire is a suitable thing to adorn an altar of the living God because it's real, it's alive, it's powerful, and it's risky. It has the power to warm us and cheer us, and it has the power to destroy. Now, all throughout the pages of scripture, fire shows up. Moses meets God in the form of a blazing bush. God's word is said to be like fire, just as we heard today in our reading from the prophet Jeremiah. The first disciples of Jesus received the Holy Spirit in a rush of flame at Pentecost. For hundreds of years in Israel's temple, burnt offerings, the smoke and pleasing odor of animals was the heart of the worship of the people of Israel. So fire is a symbol of offering, it's a symbol of destruction, and it's a symbol of purification. And really destruction and purification go hand in hand because fire so often burns away what is not good to reveal that which is. The prophets tell us God is like a refiner's food, something that burns away the impurities and leaves behind only the precious gold. John the Baptist warns that Jesus, when he comes, will separate the wheat from the chaff and burn the chaff with fire. And Paul, in his letters, writes that his own work of building up the church will be tested with fire. That what he's done that is lasting and good will remain and the rest will simply be burned. So all throughout scripture, fire is something that reveals what is not of God, that destroys it and that leaves what is of God, strengthened, purified, renewed. Friends, I hardly have to say that we live in a world that contains an awful lot that is not of God. A world where there is hatred and violence, a world where people starve, a world where people neglect one another, a world where people lament. The gospel is good news. Good news beyond anything we could have imagined. But it can be tough good news because it breaks into this world that is so beloved by God and so good. But the gospel brings with it a challenge. It can be a challenge to change our lives. It's a challenge that means we no longer have the option of ignoring the brokenness of our world or of our own lives, of papering over it, to say that all is as God would have it, that all is right with God's world. 
And so Jesus warns us to read the signs of the times. We know how to interpret weather systems. We may know how to predict approaching storms, but we can be oblivious to the systems of evil that dominate our world. Jesus Christ offers us a way of healing. But it means we can no longer pretend we don't see our need for it. And if we can't see the signs for ourselves, God has given us the ultimate sign in the baptism that Jesus talks about today, which is his suffering and his death. The fact that when God comes into our world, we respond by crucifying him is the fullest sign of the depths of sin, the reality of the evil that infects and hurts God's people and God's creation. But the fact that when we crucify God, God rises from the dead and invites us to share in that risen life is our hope. That God is stronger than human sin and evil. That God has made a down payment on a new creation. And even now that creation is being born and being born also in us. So Jesus comes to bring a fire, a fire that melts off the impurities to reveal the gold, a fire that burns away the chaff so the wheat can be used to nourish people. To be baptized into Christ is to pass into this fire. It's a fire that will leave us singed, but also healed. This past spring, several of us at Incarnation participated in a learning experience with two young native leaders here in Sonoma County. Rose Hammock and Taylor Pennewell are the leaders of a group called Redbud Resource Group, which helps churches and other organizations become better neighbors to our local native community. And so in a series of several meetings, we learned and shared, and sometimes grieved, and sometimes were challenged. And one of the many things we talked about was how the indigenous people of California historically stewarded this land using fire. Here in Sonoma County, Southern Pomo people, as well as Coast Miwok people and Wapo people, regularly used low intensity burns to keep the landscape resilient. After the time of Anglo settlement, the emphasis became to trying to prevent wildfires. And the thick fuels that we have today are the legacy. But fire is an essential part of the life of the land. More and more, again, we are learning about controlled burns and cultural burns and how the good fire can prevent the devastating fire. And so fire can be fertilizer. Fire can be healing. It's after a burn that the green shoots begin to poke their way up through the ashes, like the risen Jesus emerging from the tomb, or like a new heaven and a new earth being born out of the old. And maybe it's the same with us.
May the dangerous, powerful, loving, healing fire of God burn away our underbrush, refine us into pure gold. <laughs>